This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. This is Case Closed with another hour of mystery and crime from the golden age of radio. You can find this show every Wednesday at relicradio.com alongside all the other Relic Radio podcasts, horror, science fiction, thrillers. Check those out next time you're there. We're going to start off this week's Case Closed with Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator, in his story from December 5th, 1951, titled The Paper Bullets. After that, it's the lineup and the Mad Bomber, their episode from June 26th, 1951. William Gargan stars as Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator. The old saying, early to rise, folks, can't possibly mean a thing to a corpse. Your Pontiac dealer presents William Gargan in another transcribed drama of mystery and adventure with America's number one detective, Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Barry Craig speaking. The trick in continuing on as a confidential investigator is to keep on good terms with the police. Comes time for your license renewal and a department sawhead can louse it up for you. Play footsie with a corpse, conceal evidence, rack up as many black marks as you must, but be sure you've got a friend somewhere in the higher echelons. High say like a lieutenant willing to countersign your renewal application where it reads character references. Ah, the fool that I am, Craig, endorsing your application. Your signature goes down here, Trav. No blotting now. Right neat. Certifying you as a man of good character. However, will I atone for the perjury? The guilt get too much for you. I can refer you to a high bridge. Okay, I've signed. You're free to harass and otherwise misuse and abuse me for 12 more months. I'm looking forward to it, chum. I'd start in right away if I had a case. Oh, don't tell me the great man's idle. One meal away from pouring my badge, unless you've got an idea. I get the hint. Even if I could, why should I throw anything your way? Because you hate seeing me fall dead from hunger. So what case did you have in mind? Two cases. You even have a choice. Both of them prefer a confidential operative to official police methods, official notoriety. I was asked to recommend someone. I'm all ears. Case one. A Mrs. Cora Talbot wants help in finding her husband, Stanley Talbot. Talbot's been missing more than six years. What's her motive in looking for him now? Oh, a last-ditch search. She's about lost hope that he'll ever return. She wants to petition to have him declared legally dead so she can remarry. Interesting? How big a fee? Twenty dollars a day in expenses. Kind of anemic. It's all the lady can afford. Is it no? What's my alternative? A publisher named Hillary Grayson... He ran a best first novel contest, $50,000 to the winner. And? The prize-winning manuscript was stolen, very mysteriously. What's it worth to Grayson to get the manuscript back? A flat $2,000. So, which of the two has you seething with a desire to see justice done? Well, I don't want to be mercenary. Ah, then you'll accept Mrs. Cora Talbot. I'll call and tell her. Call and tell publisher Grayson... It's not on account of the higher tab. The fact is, I've been a long time wanting to raise my cultural level. The publisher, Grayson, had more body than any one guy needed. Three sets of jowls and thick eyeglasses. Looking into his eyes was like watching fish in an aquarium bowl. Get that manuscript back, Mr. Craig. Spare no effort or expense. If the manuscript isn't recovered, I'll be the jackass of the publishing world. I, I Hold on a minute, Grayson. You're forgetting I don't know what it's all about. I just got here. Yes. I suppose I should give you the facts. It would be helpful. The prize-winning book manuscript, The Cry of the Hyena, by Eric Trent, was stolen right out of my office. That's bad? Catastrophic. It was the only copy in existence. The author has no carbon duplicate. How come? Writers usually make copies. Usual writers usually do. But this is no usual writer. This is Eric Trent. 
Yeah, here's his photograph. Hmm. I get what you mean by this one not being usual. Does he always wear chin whiskers? Yes. Trent's a brilliant eccentric. A man who's roamed every corner of the world. A wanderer who wrote one page here, another page there. Six years in the writing and more than a thousand pages. And no carbon. First prize was $50,000? Yes. Were there other awards? One other. $5,000, a second prize. Won by? Oscar Sachs for his novel, Four Devils and a Midget. Oh, this is a photograph of Oscar Sachs. Well, this one's clean-shaven. Uh, can I talk out of turn, or are you the sensitive type? Ask me whatever you like. $55,000 in prize money. Isn't that a lot of cabbage for a... For uh, a small publisher? Your offices haven't exactly got that mahogany and chromium look. The prize money doesn't really come from me. It doesn't? An independent motion picture company, Pyramid Pictures. They pay the prizes in exchange for world rights to film the book. Any more questions? Yes. How many offices are there in this suite? Six. Why do you ask that? I'm already in there pitching for you. That intercommunications box on your desk. Is every office equipped with one? Yes, of course, but I don't... The box is switched on, as you'll notice. It's been on through this whole talk we've just had. Who in the Grayson Publishing House would be interested in uh, uh, long-range eavesdropping? I don't know. Suppose I find out. But I didn't find out. The eavesdropper resented my curiosity with all his might. And Inkwell pitched at me. Ladies and gentlemen, have you driven a great new 1952 Pontiac? Until you do, you cannot possibly appreciate what Pontiac's dual-range performance really means. Only with your own hands on the wheel, your own foot on the accelerator of a Pontiac, can you know what it means to select with a flick of a finger exactly the power you want. Tremendous get-up-and-go in traffic, or smooth, easy-going, gas-saving cruising on the open road. The great new Pontiac gives you this kind of performance because Pontiac has, for the first time, combined the three essentials of top-flight performance in one great car. First, a terrific high-compression Pontiac engine. Second, the wonderful new General Motors dual-range hydromatic drive. Third, Pontiac's new high-performance economy axle. It's this great powertrain which makes dual-range performance giving you exactly the power you want, when you want it, where you want it. Remember, only the new Pontiac has dual-range performance. Only your Pontiac dealer can show you this engineering masterpiece. Before you consider any new car, be sure you visit your nearest Pontiac dealer. See the new Pontiac. Drive it yourself. You won't be very many miles down the road before you heartily agree that dollar for dollar... You can't beat a Pontiac. And now, back to Barry Craig. My eyes opened on Grayson, sprinkling water on me with a sponge. You're all right. Quit watering me. I'm not a petunia, Ben. But you were unconscious. I'm conscious now, and you're ruining my suit. It's ruined anyhow. The ink from the inkwell. Don't tell me. Red ink yet. My fee's gone up, Grayson. Up? 2000 plus $49.75. The price of this suit. A while later, on the street outside the Grayson offices, a motorist tooted me over. A long hair driving a sky-blue-pink jalopy. I let him pick me up. You paging me, friend? Yes, I, I'd like to talk to you. What about? Uh, if you'll get in, we can go somewhere. I'll buy you a drink. Oh, buttermilk. There's a buttermilk bar over on 8th Avenue. <laughs> Buttermilk bar, we had a chat for the books. I'm Oscar Sachs. I know that. I saw that photograph of you in the Grayson Publishing offices. Oh. Well, there's some facts about the book contest I think you should know. Why? Why? 
you, you've been engaged by Mr. Grayson to locate Trent's missing manuscript. What am I wearing, a sandwich sign? I, I obtained the information through sources I cannot disclose. Give me those facts. I won the second prize of $5,000, but I was cheated. Cheated out of the big money, is it? Yes. Explain, please. The contest rules clearly specified that the award was to be made only to an American author. And? I have reason to believe Eric Trent is an Englishman, or anyhow other than an American. Uh, to put it bluntly, a fake who should be disqualified. Disqualified while you're moved up to first place and $50,000? Yes. Let's have your bill of particulars. Well, for one thing, Trent's way of talk. It's as English as the House of Parliament. Uh, another thing, Trent was somewhere overseas on a tramp island in English possession when he sent the manuscript in. That summarizes it? Well, there's more. Trent has a tattoo on his right arm. I happen to get a good look at it. It's a tattoo of the British flag. Would an American wear the British flag on his arm? They tell me Benedict Arnold did. You're really out to grab yourself 50 Gs. Well, why do you find that so odd, Craig? Just that I thought artists had no money sense. Well, I have, and I'm not apologizing for it. Okay, I've got your point of view, Oscar. Oh, yes, one little thing remains. Hold out your hands. Uh, hold out Do my... Do what Papa asks. Red ink smudges on your right thumb. You've been playing with inkwells, Sonny. Oh, Craig, I didn't mean... Uh-uh, don't apologize. Fun's fun. And I like to play myself. My interest runs to sugar bowls. Oh, Craig, no! No! Eric Trent's address, furnished me by Grayson, was a rickety studio walk-up. Seventh Heaven in Bohemia, Greenwich Village. The door opened on a blonde who eyed you as if she was already counting your money. Hiya. Hello. This is 6D, isn't it? That's what it says on the door. It's my astigmatism. Is Eric Trent in? No, but I am. Baby, I'm not a gentleman caller. So who's tough luck, would you call it? Come in. Trent said for you to wait if you simply had to see him. Trent expected me? Yeah. That Mr. Grayson, the publisher, he phoned and said you might be over. You're Barry Craig, the detective, he said. Uh, Barry Craig, confidential investigator. I'm Judy. Judy Joy. Well, come on in. I won't bite you. I was waiting for you to make that promise. I live right next door in 6E. I come in here to play the radio. Mine's out of order. Oh. That's Bummy Fiegelspan's orchestra you're hearing. Oh. It's on every day this hour. Mm -hmm. I get simply dilapidated if I miss hearing Bummy. Come again. Did you say dilapidated? Yeah. Dilapidated like frazzled. You know, fractured. Or were you correcting me on the word? Oh, no, no. Eric's always correcting me on the words. Imagine me keeping company with a real live author type. Sure I can. I can even imagine 50,000 reasons. Huh? What'd you say? Oh, there's Eric now. Eric? Ah, oh, Judy. On the sofa's Barry Craig, the investigator. I've been keeping him here for you. Thank you, Judy. Now, if you'll leave us alone. Sure. I've got a slip to press anyhow. Nice meeting you, Mr. Craig. I was floored myself. Excuse me while I shut off the musical background. Now, Mr. Craig, the object of this visit? Your stolen brainchild, what else? But what can I do about it? I submitted it in good order. I'm not responsible for its disappearance. How come only one copy? Why didn't you type up a carbon duplicate? I have no patience with purely clerical details. I'm an artist. But the full risk of losing the one copy. I'm a man who takes risks, Craig. In my years abroad, away from America, I've lived a life of risks. Skip the personal build-up. Wherever I went, I traveled lightly. Suit on my back, pipe tobacco, and a pencil. It was enough of a nuisance carting one copy of a thousand pages around. And how was I to know my confounded book would ever get to a publisher, much less win a prize? Okay for that. What's your, uh, guess on the missing manuscript? Grayson. What motive? A stunt. Grayson intends exploiting this whole affair for all the publicity he can wring out of it. It's an angle. The 50,000. Would you say you, uh, won it legitimately? Legitimately? I mean, uh, what if you were to be disqualified as the first prize winner? Say, on a technicality. 
What technicality? Not actually being of American origin, as the contest rules specify. But I am an American. With a British accent? <laughs> I spent years in the islands, in Jamaica and British Samaritan. I'm told you have a tattoo of the British flag on your right arm. So? Then I sailed the seven seas, and like a sailor, I had myself decorated with tattoos. But the British flag on an American citizen. Ah, wait until I open my shirt. There. Are you looking at the tattoo on my chest, Mr. Craig? Yeah, the American eagle. What do you know? Expand your chest, genius. Expand my... I want to see old Baldy flap his wings. The first break in the case developed over the phone. I was in my office, soaking my feet. Barry Craig speaking. Hey, this is Grayson. What gives? It's about the stolen manuscript. Listen carefully. Shoot. A hoodlum named Mike Kelsey got in touch with me. He admitted to stealing the manuscript. Why did he? A mistake, he says. He was under the impression that it was valuable. A rare manuscript. <laughs> Believe that. He wants to return it now and no questions asked. How much loot is he after? $1,000. It's paying ransom, compounding a felony. I must have the manuscript back, Craig. I told him to negotiate the transfer through you. You're representing me in the matter. Where's the thousand? I'm sending the money over to you in cash by messenger. You're to meet this Mike Kelsey in the tavern. The flying horse. Craig, be discreet. Sure. Sure, I'll be discreet. The cash came by messenger okay. And I got to negotiate in the flying horse tavern. A mug with heavy artillery bulging his coat, waiting at a table for me. You Mike Kelsey? No, I'm, uh, McGuire. I'm here for Mike. Hey, you're negotiating for Grayson, so I'm here negotiating for Mike Kelsey. Now, let's negotiate without any monkey business, Craig. Why a gun under both armpits, Buster? So they don't develop a stoop on one side? Oh. Now, here's your manuscript. Right in the wrapping, Mike Kelsey found it in. Now, count me out a fast grand. Here, $1,000. Count it yourself. It seems okay. Uh, don't be stupid enough to stop me from leaving. The publisher, Grayson, was out. Would I please call later, a secretary told me. I'd gone back to my office to cool my heels for a while when the phone rang. Barry Craig speaking. Craig, this is Oscar Sachs. Now watch your beef. Craig, I've discovered something I think you'll want to know. Something that will promote you into the 50 G's? Something that won't help Barry Trent any. Craig, the man's a fraud. They're playing a cracked record, Junior. Am I? Come hear me out and then tell me that. All right, I'll come hear you out. As soon as I dry my feet and rustle up a change of socks... I didn't get to hear Sachs out. To achieve that, I'd first have to perfect a way of communicating with the dead. I left Oscar Sachs as I found him, sprawled backwards over a writer's desk, a knife standing vertically in his Adam's apple. I left him as is, so Lieutenant Trav Rogers wouldn't howl to heaven and the D.A. that I'd once more tampered with a corpse. Grayson drooled with joy supreme over the recovered manuscript. This is a load off my mind, Craig. A big load. But it solves nothing. Who stole it and why? And why was Sachs murdered between the time he phoned me and the time I got to his flat? I'll show you the manuscript, Grayson, and then I've got a question. Here. Examine it and then tell me. Is this the same manuscript that was stolen? The same? Why, sure it is. The Cry of the Hyena by Eric Trent. Examine the manuscript, not just the title page. Study a few sample pages. Yeah. The same. You'll swear to that? On a stack? No. No, I won't swear. You've detected something? Some changes? Yes. 
I think yes. For one thing, this copy is cleaner. The edges of the pages aren't so ragged from handling. As you remember them to have been. Yes, even the title page looks altered now. I remember a burn here in the upper right corner near the author's name. A burn like from an accidental cigarette ash. I'm convinced. This isn't the copy that was stolen. But what can it mean? I aim to find out. Grayson. Yes? Phone Eric Trent. Get him to come here to your office on some pretext. But Why? So I can have the run of his studio without Trent being the wiser or being present. Eric Trent had all the accumulated junk of a guy with a passion for changing climates. Souvenirs from Bombay, the Dutch Indies, Labrador. Souvenirs in brass, carved ivory, porcelain. And in the bottom bureau drawer, a manuscript. The Cry of the Hyena, with a cigarette burn on the title page. Eric Trent had stolen his own manuscript. I had the evidence in hand, but keeping it wasn't going to be so simple. A lady was against it. A lady healed with a gun twice the size of her dainty lotioned hand. Miss Judy Joy. Yes, Mr. Craig. Miss Judy Joy. Through the, uh, convenient connecting door? I heard noises in here, and I made it just in time to catch a burglar. Drop that manuscript. You charm me into it. Want a word of advice, beautiful? No. I thought you would. Ring off Eric Trent as fast as you can flick your glamorous eyebrows. You're crazy. Being true to Trent's an awful waste of war paint now. What are you trying to tell me? That Trent's value on the hoof has just been slashed by about $50,000. He, he won't get the money? Neither will you get the money. You're a liar. A Dutch uncle. I'd hate to see you dragging your gorgeous chassis up the river Sundays, visiting ye author in the big house. Pour me a drink. Still making with the gun? Aimed at your head while we wait for Eric. The stuff's on that coffee table there. The soda bottle's right alongside it. Okay, I'll play bartender. Say when? When? How much soda? Just a squirt. That's enough. Spot more, huh? Just enough to dampen your spirits? No, but you're me. Had enough? But she's no good. Move down. <laughs> we held an all-night session. Me, Lieutenant Trav Rogers, and Grayson. Comparing the two manuscripts page for page. It was early dawn before I found a discrepancy between the two versions. You found something, Craig? Yes, Trev. A Cora Lane disappeared from the substituted version. Who's Cora Lane? Tell him, Grayson. Cora Lane is a character who appears early in the novel. A woman the hero meets and falls in love with. She's in version one. She's out of version two. Now, why would the author go to all the trouble he did, submitting a manuscript and then stealing it back just to write a character out of the book? Because the name Coraline means something. Something he didn't want found out. Means what? Coraline was a character, say, uh, drawn from real life. She's a real name, a real person somewhere. Excuse me, Mr. Craig. They're saying that Trent only realized it when it was almost too late to make the change. One thing's pretty clear to me, Grayson. Eric Trent didn't write the book. Somebody else did. Who would you say did write the book, Craig? The hero of the story is my guess. Stanley Fields. Only that name is probably an invention, or Eric Trent would have changed it. It figures the book is an autobiographic work. A man's true personal history disguised as fiction. The personal history of someone Trent stole the manuscript from. Someone now dead, or Trent would never have dared to try for the big prize. Tram? Yes. Arrest Eric Trent. Book him for the murder of Oscar Sachs. You're sure? Sachs tumbled to some of the truth, and Trent shut him up. Trent was also behind the Mike Kelsey red herring. That was a trick to throw dust in our eyes. Arrest Trent, Lieutenant. And when that little chore's over, check police files and directories for a Coral Lane. Go to it, Tram. On this one, I'm making you a gift to the headlines.
Ladies and gentlemen, when a great reporter wants to get the inside story of a great new car, he gives it a thorough test run. That's exactly what John Daly did with the new Pontiac. Here he is to tell you some of the outstanding facts of the new 1952 Pontiac and its spectacular dual-range performance. This is John Daly to tell you about a great advancement in automobile performance, the great new 1952 Pontiac with spectacular new dual-range performance. A number of factors contribute to this sensational new kind of driving. Pontiac has combined a powerful high-compression engine, new dual-range hydromatic drive, and high-performance economy axle into an amazing powertrain that gives you tailor-made performance. At the touch of a finger, you can have tremendous acceleration and get up and go for any occasion. With equal ease, you can choose a different type of performance, quiet, economical cruising for the open road. Drive the new 1952 Pontiac with dual-range performance on display at your Pontiac dealer now. It's spectacular new proof, the dollar for dollar you can't beat a Pontiac. The great new 1952 Pontiac with dual-range performance is on display now at your nearest Pontiac dealer. See it. Drive it as soon as you can. And now, back to Barry Craig. It took two days for Trav to get back to me. When he did, he had a lady with him. A gray lady with haunted eyes. This is Cora Lane, Craig. Cora Lane, Barry Craig. Mr. Craig. How do you do? How did you find her, Trev? Police files. The name of Cora Lane appeared on an old record card. She reported her husband missing some years back. Stanley, my husband. He left one morning, never returned. I was frightened. I, I imagined him injured, a traffic victim. I didn't know then that my husband had planned to just disappear. That he couldn't live in my world. That he had so much wanderlust. Her husband was the Stanley in the book. The author of it, as you theorize, Craig. Your husband was a writer? Yes. A writer all through him. Foolish, wild, irresponsible. And wonderful, too. Is he dead? Tell her, child. Yes, he's dead. Oh, According to Eric Trent's confession, your husband died of a tropical disease somewhere in the Pacific. Eric Trent was a drifter your late husband had taken up with. An odd thing, Craig. What odd thing? I offered you one of two cases the other day. Why bring that up now? You took one, but you solved both. Uh, what? Cora Lane is the maiden name of Mrs. Stanley Talbot. Mrs. Cora Talbot. Not the $20 a day in expenses deal I passed up. Yes. As it turned out, you found her missing husband. Hmm, a great lady, Trav, and all-around loser. Her life hasn't been good. Her life needs fixing. Mrs. Talbot? Yes, Mr. Craig. We're taking a ride, you and me. A ride? Cross town. You've been poor, but now you're rich. That book of your husband's, The Cry of the Hyena, is $50,000 coming to you. And I'm going to stand over Grayson while he makes out that check. Good night, folks. See you next week. You have been listening to William Gargan in another exciting transcribed mystery drama from the adventures of Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Tonight's story, The Paper Bullets, was written by John Robert. Next week, it's the strange story of Death and the Purple Cow, about which Barry Craig has this to say. Next week, I lose a client before I get him. A man dies in a hamburger joint. And a purple cow turns out to be neither a cow nor purple. See you next week, folks. Featured in the role of Judy was Barbara Weeks. Barry Craig, starring William Gargan, was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is Don Pardo speaking.
Now enjoy Meredith Wilson's Music Room on NBC. Ladies and gentlemen, we take you behind the scenes of a police headquarters in a great American city, where under the cold, glaring lights will pass before us the innocent, the vagrant, the thief, the murderer. This is The Lineup. Tonight, the lineup is presented by your nearby Plymouth dealer. Saturday, he presents the most exciting Plymouth ever built. Before we join the lineup, let's eavesdrop on one end of a telephone conversation. Hello, Chief. Ryan talking. Yeah, yeah. Who did it? Plymouth did it. Turned out the car sensation of the year. Can't get you the whole lowdown yet, but Saturday's the big day. Yeah, they'll crack it then. The whole mystery surrounding the new Plymouth. Everybody's going to know on Saturday. What's that? Clues. Well, sure, a couple of swell leads. For one thing, the new Plymouth has safety flow ride. Now, take it from me, Chief. That is one terrific story. Those Plymouth engineers have come up with a tremendous development. Hmm? Oh, no, no, not just the kind of improvement you expect in any new model. This is a sensational new idea. And get this payoff. The new Plymouth skims over bumps and holes like it was floating. Takes the bounce and wallop out of those rough roads so you swear you were gliding down a superhighway and... Hmm? Uh-oh, Chief, gotta cut this off. But remember that lead, new Plymouth with safety flow ride this coming Saturday. Yeah, Chief, I'll keep on it. <laughs> Sit right here, Mr. Hunter. How many men would we look at? Well, 31 altogether. Now, a man probably won't be any of these, but we want to cover every possibility. May I have your attention, please? You people out there on the other side of the wire in the audience room, may I have your attention, please? Thank you. My name is Greb, Sergeant Matt Greb. I'll explain the lineup to you. Each of the suspects you will see will be numbered. I'll call off a number, their name and charge. If you have any questions or identification, please remember the number assigned to the prisoner as I call his name. At the end of each line, when I ask for questions or identification, call out the number. If you're sure or not too sure of the suspect, have him held. The officers who took your name will assist you. They're seated among you. Please be prompt with your questions or identification. When the prisoners leave here, they are sent to the bathroom and dressed back into their jail clothes. It makes it quite difficult to bring them back after they leave here. The questions I ask these suspects are merely to get a natural tone of voice, so do not pay too much attention to their answers as they often lie. Bring on the line. Okay, men, move on up to the end of the stage. Right up to the end. That's right. Now turn and face front, hands to your sides, look straight ahead. Now when I ask you questions, talk up so the people in the back can hear you. Okay. Number one, Bertram Ketchell, robbery. Where do you live, Bert? Three miles. Talk up, Bert. Talk up. It's a long way to the back of the room. The people back there want to hear you, too. Fremont Hotel. What's the address? 634 East 109th. Where are you from, Bert? Oklahoma. Where in Oklahoma? Dallas. Can you people back there hear him? I, I am, all right. You'll have to be louder. Oh, no. Yeah. You'll have to be louder. McAllister. Anyone arrested with you? Yes, sir. Who? Fellow named Al. Al Kingston? I guess so. I didn't know his last name. Kingston. He's uh, number 28. He's in the other room. Did you have a car? No, sir. Any weapons? No, sir. How long had you known Kingston? About 30 minutes. Mm. <laughs> number two, John Macy, robbery. Face front and talk up. Where do you live, John? 66 of River Street. What's that? Seamus Hotel. Don't look at me, John. Look right out front so the people can see you. What do you do, John? Ship's cook. Anybody arrested with you? No. Any weapon? Yes, sir. Pistol, wasn't it? Yes, sir. What kind of a pistol? Uh, 32, I think. 38, I know. Yes, sir. You have a car? Yeah, Chrysler. Well, 
Stand for for what? Sedan. What color? Black. Number three, Lewis Moore, South. Where do you live, Lewis? 205 South Maple. You can't hear him, man. 205 South Maple Drive. Oh, look, look, I don't want to tell you boys again. It's a long way to the back of the room, so you got to talk up. Where do you work, Lou? Fisher and Son. What do you do? What's your work? Cartman. Your landlady says you hit her. Yes, sir. With what? A hot plate. Something you cook on? Yes, sir. I was cooking. She said I was smelling up the building. Why did you hit her? It's a long story, Sergeant. You'd have to know my landlady. Number four, Ivan Cyberling, drunk and disorderly. Any of these men, Mr. Hunter? Where do you live, Ivan? I leave Lake Park, 644 North Hudson Place, Sergeant. Don't, don't tell me. Tell the people out there. What do you do, Ivan? Construction engineer. You were pretty drunk, Ivan. Yes, sir. The arresting officer said he had had complaints before. Yes, sir. She has complained for a week. Who's she? My wife. You live at 644 North Hudson? Yes, sir. The report says you broke a window at that address. The door was locked. I broke one other night, too, when she locked me out. I will keep right on breaking them until she leaves door unlocked. Maybe you better stop drinking. Yes, sir. Any questions or identification? How about it, Mr. Hunter? Audience? Number two was picked up in your neighborhood. No. Any questions or identification? Okay, the audience, look at the next please. one. Uh, nothing, man. Okay. Run them off. Bring on the next one. Cup of coffee, Mr. Hunter? Thank you. They won't keep you much longer. There you are. Thanks. Sergeant Greb should be here any minute. Oh, uh, hi. Uh, this is Mr. Hunter, man. Sergeant Greb. Well, Sergeant. How do you do, Mr. Hunter? Grab a chair, man. I uh, voted for you last election, Mr. Hunter. Yeah, good. Didn't spot anybody in the line? No. Coffee, man? No, no, thanks. Mr. Hunter can't think of anyone who'd want to kill him. And you can't remember seeing anybody suspicious hanging around your house? No, I can't, Sergeant. Well, none of your neighbors saw anybody either. Hey, here's the report from the lab. Bomb was a time bomb. Found pieces of an old alarm clock. From the size of the explosion, must have been about eight or ten sticks of dynamite. Oh, sure lucky you and the family were in the back of the house. Very lucky. Well, we'll do our best to catch whoever it was, sir. Eh, probably just a crank. man like myself, politics, public figure, makes a lot of enemies for one reason or another. Maybe this one didn't vote for me last election, Sergeant. Well, come to think of it, maybe he did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we may want to talk to you again, Mr. Hunter, in case we come up with something. Well, my family and I are going to stay over at my mother's until the house is fixed. The address is uh, Lakeshore Drive, number 10. Number 10, make sure drive. Mm-hmm. Phone numbers, OQ, 77687. 77687. Pardon me. Guthrie. Yeah? Oh, yeah? How long ago? Was anyone hurt? Right. Sure. Another bombing. What? Hmm? A friend of yours, Councilman Adams. W- was he hurt? Yeah, both he and his wife are in the hospital. They've got a child. Well, the child's all right. Ruined the house, though. Were Adams and his wife hurt badly? Well, I don't know. Ambulance took them away. I'll have to check with the hospital. This is awful. Everybody should certainly be warned. Yeah, they will be. We'll put a man with you and your family, Mr. Hunter. In the meanwhile, we'll go and look at Mr. Adams' house. Chief Anderson, Matt. See what he's got to say about the damage. Yeah, sure. The man's a neighbor. Named Crump. Mr. Crump! Yes, Sergeant. This is Lieutenant Guthrie. How are you, Mr. Crump? Glad to meet you, Lieutenant. Uh, let's move over here where we can talk, huh? Tell the All Lieutenant right. just what you You're told me, Mr. Crump. Well, about 4.30, I was working in my backyard, mowing the lawn. I saw Mrs. Adams get in her car and drive out of the garage. About an hour later, I went around front to get the hose, and I saw an old truck pull up across the street, right over there by the lamppost. I see. Saw a man get out, kind of an old man, old clothes. Uh-huh. Went around the back of the truck and took out something that looked like a box about, about this big. I disconnected the hose and started around back, 
I noticed this man walking across the street with a box. Looked like he was heading for the Adams house. A couple of hours later, I was sitting in my living room, and I saw Mr. and Mrs. Adams pull up in front of their house and go in. A little while later, my wife and I were having dinner, and an explosion happened. Busted most of the windows in our house. I didn't think about the old guy with the box until I found out what had happened, and... I remembered reading about this other bombing yesterday. Figure that box the old guy was carrying might have been the bomb. Mm. Well, can you remember what this old guy looked like? Well, maybe if I saw him again. And what kind of a truck was he driving? A real okay, old, take real it away, Bob. jalopy. You know, one of those pickups. Uh huh. Hey, did you get the license? Did you get the license? No. Why would I get it? I didn't even think anything about it until after the explosion. Oh, I see. Well, can you tell us a little bit more about the old guy? Well, he wore dirty coveralls and a leather jacket, if I remember right. Uh-huh. He didn't have a hat. Remember, he looked like he needed a haircut. And partly how I told he was old, he had gray hair, almost white. Mm-hmm. And the coveralls and the jacket, they were pretty dirty. But if you saw him again, you think you might recognize him, huh? Yeah, I think so. All right, well, thank you very much, Mr. Crump. We'll keep in touch with you. Sure, glad uh, to have you. and get Mr. Crump's phone number and anything we might need. Right. I'll be up with man. Okay, Lieutenant. Oh, Ben. Yeah? Hello, Chief. Oh, hello, Guthrie. A mess, huh? A bomb do all that? Bomb and the fire. Now, he used more dynamite than the last time. Blew this room sky high. Yeah. Watch out for that glass there. Right. Center of the explosion was right about here. Uh-huh. Probably walked up to the side of the house, stuck the bomb into that opening on the foundation there. Surprised nobody saw him. Well, somebody thinks he did. Well, you better catch this boy. He hasn't killed anybody yet, but he's trying pretty hard. How'd you make out with Crump? Oh, nothing. He looked through the whole mug file, not a thing. Mm. I talked to the hospital this morning. Adams are going to be all right. No luck on that old pickup truck? Uh-uh. Hey, why don't you turn up the heat, man? Huh? Okay, sure. I'll, uh, I'll bet we get a blizzard. We do, you know. Guthrie. Yeah? Well, what was he wearing? Yeah, that sounds like him. Yeah, we'll be right down. Well, maybe we got the bomber. Yeah? 25 minutes ago, picked up a man wearing old coveralls and a dirty leather jacket coming out of the state building. He spotted him, followed him three blocks before they grabbed him. He was climbing into an old pickup truck and back with 30 sticks of dynamite. That man? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I've got Crump sitting out front. How many men are you going to show? Three beside the suspect. Okay. I'll go sit with Crump. Hello, Mr. Crump. Hello. Oh, Lieutenant Guthrie. I couldn't see. We want you to look at some suspects. Yeah, that's what Sergeant Greb told me. We think one of them might be the man who planted the bombs. I hope I can help you. I hope so. All right, Ben. Run them on. All right. He's the one that got out of the truck, all right? The one with the box. All right, Matt. Run him off. Right. That's all, man. That's all. Bye, Well, I think you picked the right one. That's the man I saw in front of my house. We'll need a statement from you, Mr. Crump. Sure, sure. What were the others arrested for? They weren't arrested, Mr. Crump. Three others were police officers. drive a car? Do you ride in one? If so, you've got a brand new experience in store for you. Plymouth Spectacular Safety Flow Ride. A sensational new use of hydraulic principles that gives you a smooth ride on any kind of road. Yes, even those dirt roads outside of town and the worn pavement you've been avoiding because of the bumps. 
Drive a new Plymouth over stretches like that, and you won't believe your senses. Front seat or back, you'd think you were traveling a smooth, paved highway. But don't take my word for it. Prove it to yourself Saturday at your nearby Plymouth dealers. Arrange for your ride in the most exciting Plymouth ever built. He's going to be a tough nut. Arresting officers couldn't get a thing out of him. We've got men over there talking with people in the state building. So far, nobody remembers seeing him come in. You say his name is Louis Black, huh? Yeah, yeah. Driver's license gave his address as 1910 East Flower. Asher's over there now checking. Wonder what he was doing in the state building. Yeah, I'm worried, too. I wonder if... Oh, no, no. No, he couldn't have. Mm, big building. I hope you're right. Hello, Mr. Black. I'm Lieutenant Guthrie. This is Sergeant Graham. Quine. Yeah? I see you upstairs. Right. Well, sit down, Lewis. We want to talk to you about those bombings. We know you made those bombs. A man saw you walk up to the Adams house with one of them. Mm-hmm. It's cold in here. Yeah, yeah. It started to snow. That's right. That's right. Now, look, um, why don't you tell us about it? Oh, I made them. Oh, yeah, sure. Why? I made them. I don't have to tell you why, though. You put one of them under George Hunter's house. Do you know him? I know who he is. But you don't know him personally? Nope. Did you know Adams? Nope. Then why'd you try to kill him? And I've been out of work. Isn't there a heater in here or something? You've been out of work long? Yes, I have. Hunter or Adams have something to do with it? You sure want to know why I made those bombs, don't you? Well, we'd like to know. Well, it's no fun being out of work. I've been out of work for a long time. You ever been out of work? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it's no fun. You try to get a job? Sure, I couldn't get one. I kept trying, just couldn't get one. Look, do we have to sit in here? It's really getting cold. We'll get out of here as soon as you tell us all now, about it. don't try to push me. I don't like being pushed around. I can stand it down here as long as you can. We're not trying to push you. No? We don't like this any better than you do. It's just a job. If it weren't us, it'd be somebody else. Okay. If you had a job, you'd try to do it the best you could, wouldn't you? Well, sure I would. I used to have jobs all the time. I always did the best I could. Now, what kind of jobs did you have? All before? kinds. I was a miner once when I worked in Pennsylvania. That's where you're from, Lewis, Pennsylvania? Yeah, I did all kinds of jobs once. And I couldn't get a job. Nobody would give me one. That's the trouble. There's not enough jobs. They ought to do something about getting jobs for people. Bunch of dirty politicians. They don't worry about guys like me. No, they make speeches. Oh, sure, they get elected. They don't do nothing. Like Adams and Hunter. You're darn right. Adams and Hunter, the whole bunch. Even the mayor. Sure, the mayor. Yeah. And the governor. Oh, he's the worst one of all. He's the biggest. He could do something if he wanted to, but he'd done. He'd had a job in three years. You'd like to take care of the governor like Adams and Hunter, wouldn't you? Oh, no. no. I'm not going to tell you anything. You think I'm going to tell you something, don't you? <laughs> but I'm not. What were you doing in the state building? Why don't you try and find out? Look, Lewis. We don't want you to get into any more trouble than you're already in. I don't want to talk anymore. I want to go back to my cell. I'm cold. You can go back to your cell as soon as you tell us all about yeah. Lieutenant. I'll see you in a minute. Oh, uh, yeah, Quinn. Have some heat in well, it's up to you. All you have to... Got a janitor upstairs from the state building. He remembers seeing Lewis Black come into the building by the side entrance. He says Black was carrying a big box. Hold. Look. See that the state building's cleared as fast as possible. Rope off the street. Step on it. Right. Lewis, I just found out that you planted a bomb in the state building. I don't care what you found out. I'm not going to tell you. I'm tired of playing with you, Lewis. Now, where's that bomb? Where'd you put oh, it? Oh, you can do anything you want to me. Go on, get rough. Beat me up. I won't tell you where I put that bomb. Well, at least tell us when it's set to go off. What time is it? Six minutes to five. <laughs> you won't find it. How much time? Oh, about 40 minutes, I guess. Everybody's out of the building. Find out where he put
put it. No, he wants it to go off. We got him over in the car with Walter and Asher. They'll keep working on him. Army car. Captain Phillips, demolition expert. I'm Phillips. Ben Guthrie. Hope we can use you. Know what kind of a bomb it is? Uh, Quinn will tell you all we know. We've got to get into that building and try to find it. Thirty men in there now, covering every floor. Now, who's in charge? Harrison. He's in the basement. Come on, ma'am. Right. What time is it? Well, we got about 25 minutes, more or less. Any luck? No, not yet, Lieutenant. Harrison's still in the basement? Yeah, down those stairs. Okay. Harrison! Over here, Ben. Well, any luck? No. How much time we got? Uh, less than 25 minutes. What orders did you give? If the bomb's found, it's to be taken directly to the street. If we've still got any time left, the car will drive it to a safe place. That army man get here? Yeah, yeah, he's here. Well, this is the way I want it to go. It's uh, 5.13 by my watch. Such yours. Right. At exactly 5.25, order your men out of here. Tell them they've got 10 minutes to get clear. We'll go tell the rest on the other floors. Can you run an elevator, man? Yeah, sure. We'll take the second floor. I'll take the alternates, third, fifth, and so on. Be sure they set their watches with yours. Right. Sergeant. Yes, sir. You got a watch? Yes, sir. I'll set it with mine. Yes, sir. In five seconds, it'll be 5.14.35. Now. Yeah. Have all your men off this floor by 5.25. 5.25. Yes, sir. Spy 25, everybody's out. Yeah. Well, what do we do? That's a good question. If Black wasn't lying, we've got something like ten minutes. Matt. Yeah? Go out to the car and get Black. Huh? Go out and get Black. Maybe the last thing I do, but I'm going to find out where that bomb is. Get out of here, man. What? Get out of here. Wait a minute, wait a minute. If you find out where that bomb is, who's going to watch Black while you get it? I'll worry about that when I get to it. No, no, I'm staying. Okay, I can't argue. How about it, Black? You want to tell us where it is? You'll never find it. What time is it? 5.28. Oh, you can't scare me. You think if you keep me here, I'll tell you where the bomb is, huh? About five minutes, huh? I guess so. You're not very smart. I said 40 minutes. Well, maybe 40, maybe not. I can't be sure. <laughs> Might go off any second. I guess so. Ah, who are you kidding? You won't stay in here. You're scared. Listen, Black. You're darn right we're scared. But so help me, you're going to tell us where that bomb is, or it's going to blow all of us sky high. Now shut up unless you want to tell us. Hey, I'm not afraid to die. Well, you're going to have a chance. Eight stories in this building. Yeah. If it's too far away... We may not have time anyway. Let me out of here. I'm not going anywhere. You're going to stay right here until you tell us where it is. Okay, I won't. Why then shut up? 529. Look. Look, Black. You're not doing anything but wrecking a building and killing yourself. You can't get the governor. He's been taken out. You can't make me tell you. Okay. How much dynamite is in that bomb, Louie? Fifty sticks. Hope you guessed right about the time. Ben. Yeah? I told you it would snow. Yeah. Gonna be a big one. Louis, why don't you tell us? I can stand as you can. 5.30. All right, all right, all right. It's in the basement. Well, show us. All right. Come on, step on it. Come on. Time is it? Not much. Can you stop it? Yes. All right, now where, where? It's up there. On top of the big pipes in the back. How did you get up there? Where the ladder? Where's the ladder? Everything's been moved. Well, forget the ladder. Show us the spot. Yes. 
right about here. All right, give him a boost up. Yeah. Put your foot in my hand. Suppose it goes off. I'm scared. No wonder we couldn't find it. You see it? Yeah. Well, I can grab it. I've got it. All right, now hand it down. Okay. Just get out here. Yeah, let it go off. We might not have time. Well, can I can I tear off these boards without something? Oh. Yes, 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 yes. Well, explain it to me while I rip them off, will you? I don't know. I don't remember. Please, yes, please, please. Get out of here. You better remember. If you stay to my old alarm clock, batteries, breaker switch, the alarm goes off and causes a circuit of the batteries. Okay, take it apart. No, let me out of here. You want to stay right You're here? You're the floor, Now, settle down. Come on. Tell me. Tell me what to do. The wires and the batteries of the dynamite. Pull them loose. Please. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. You sure that does it? Yes, yes. Okay. Let's get it out to the street. Make it all right, Ben. Yeah. All right, let's go. All right, Lewis. Come on. station in the morning. I'm going to take my alarm clock and throw it as far as I can. Let's listen in again to our friend who's been investigating the new Plymouth. Hello, Chief. Ryan again. Dug up some more for you on the new Plymouth. Safety flow ride? Oh, sure. That's the big news, like I said. Smoothed out bumps and dips just as if they weren't there. Oh, brother, you never saw anything like that before on any car at any price. But get this. Plymouth has a new look, too. Sleek, flowing lines. I'm sorry I can't get the whole pitch on the other important new features, but honest, Chief... They've got that new Plymouth wrapped up tighter than a mummy, keeping it strictly sewed up until Saturday. But I can tell you this much. The new Plymouth is a real beauty inside and out. What's that, Chief? Oh, no, no, you can't. Not till Saturday. That's the big day. Then everybody and his brother gets a chance to see the new Plymouth in person. And if you want a tip from yours truly, hustle on into your neighborhood Plymouth dealers Saturday. Feast your eyes on the biggest value car in the low-priced field, the sensational new Plymouth. The lineup, where before you pass the innocent, the vagrant, the thief, the murderer. Listen again next week when we again bring you The Lineup. May I have your attention, please? You people out there on the other side of the wire in the audience room, may I have your attention? Thank you. My name is Grant, Sergeant Matt Grant. I'll explain the lineup to you. Each of the suspects you will see will be numbered. I'll call off a number, their name and charge. If you have any questions or identification, Starring Bill Johnstone as Lieutenant Ben Guthrie and Wally Mayer as Sergeant Matt Grebb is written by Blake Edwards with music by Eddie Dunstetter. Featured in tonight's cast were John McIntyre, Clayton Post, Sidney Miller, Ed Begley, Joe Duvall, Raymond Burr, and Howard McNear. The lineup is produced and directed by Jaime Del Valle. The lineup was brought to you by your Plymouth dealer. Remember, you have a date Saturday at his Plymouth showroom to see the most exciting Plymouth ever built. Saturday's the day, Plymouth's the car. Dan Coverly speaking. This is CBS The Star's Address, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That's the show for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. You can find more from Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator, The Lineup, 
and thousands of other old-time radio episodes at relicradio.com. We'd like to help support this and all of the shows while you're there. Click on one of the donate buttons or visit donate.relicradio.com. There's certain downloadable sets for certain donation amounts, though any amount is always appreciated and helpful. Thanks to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me today. Be back next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed.